stuff, good stuff. Hey, ladies, do seriously sign up for Devoted if you haven't done so. It's a life-changing experience. It's an incredible opportunity. So if you're hesitant, um, please talk to us or talk to Michelle or myself. I know I just offered that. <laughs> talk to Michelle, and uh, we'll definitely um, connect. And uh, we want to help you get there if that's what needs to be. But if you're just praying about it or unsure, definitely jump in to Devoted because it's going to be a great experience for you. Also, too, next week is our anniversary service for City Life, and so uh, City Life as a whole has been around for 11 years. At each campus, we've launched it on the same day, and so we celebrate as a church our anniversary and just another fun year together as a church, and so we're going to take over Sal's by Victor next week after service, all right? And so uh, come prepared and ready to throw down on some salad and pasta and whatever else you want to do, um, breadsticks or whatever you need, but uh, we're going to take over Sal's by Victor, so we're encouraging you and inviting every person to come after service with us to celebrate God's goodness and another fun year at City Life Williamsburg. Good stuff? You better be excited about that. You need to be there. It's going to be fun. Well, hey, so we're going to be jumping back into our sermon series, What Is This All About? We started this back in the beginning of December. We had a few weeks off because of Christmas Eve and then New Year's Eve, and then we had snow which I'm hoping we're going to have more of. Still early enough in the year, praying for more snow, lots more snow, lots more sledding, more snow cream, more soup, more chili. Come on, seriously. What is not the, like, beanies and hats and gloves? So good. Snow is so much fun. If you don't like it, <laughs> that's rude. That's not what I was going to say. Come with us. You'll have fun. So uh, we started the sermon series, and uh, we have been walking through what are the values of our church, kind of going through and processing and clarifying the values that define us and shape us, how we do what it is that we do, how we want to function as a church, and how we want to be defined as a church, characterized as a church. Values are an important part of any organization if you're going to be moving forward. Oftentimes, it's clear for us our why and what we do. And it's also sometimes clear what we do. But little do we put emphasis and interest into how we're supposed to do it. And what happens when you don't have clearly defined values, clearly defined boundaries that shape your culture and define behavior, what happens is, is that when there's a moment of indecision, there's a moment of uncertainty, opinion gets inserted, and when there's opinion, there's offenses. And so what we are trying to do is to walk through and say, we don't want to be offended people, we don't want to be unsure people, we don't want to be unclear people, but we want to be clear about what it is that God's called us to do, why we're doing it, and how we're supposed to be doing it. So we're walking through and looking at our values and defining them for us as a church to help us understand that. Our why, just to help bring clarity and understanding, our why, as a follower of Christ, we go to Scripture. What is our role? What is our purpose? What is God's desire for each and every purpose? The person on this planet is to be in relationship with Him so that we live our lives for His glory and so that others come to know Him. That is our why. That's what we're here for, to live lives of worship for His glory and for others to come to know His love and grace for them as well. That's our why in what we do. It's broad, it's general, but that's what we're supposed to do um, as followers of Christ and as such as a church. So what? That's specific to us. It's distinct to who City Life is. Our what is this? Is We are a church that declares the abundant life promised in and through Christ that can only be described as heaven now, heaven forever by developing devoted followers of Christ to live lives full of meaning, purpose, and significance here and now in preparation for eternity and by planting like-minded churches throughout the peninsula. That's our what. So that's what we're set out to do. That's what we're carrying out to do. So how are we going to do that then? How are we going to carry that out? So we've been walking through these uh, for the past couple of weeks and shaping them. How do we want to be known? How do we want to facilitate these things? And the first one was this, is be an enthusiastic encourager. Even when you drop your pen in awkward moments, you should encourage people. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 10, it says this, Christ died for us so that 
He died for us so that whether we are dead or alive, when he returns, we can live with him forever. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. We need to encourage each other and build each other up. So we want you, when you come to church, whether we're in the middle of a worship moment or we're preaching or you're getting coffee or you're dropping your kids off or you're leaving or you're calling and saying, I need some help or I need somebody to visit me. Or if you're sending an email saying, I need help in this area or I've got a question. In anything that we do, we want you to be encouraged in Christ. We want you to be built up. We want you to come to church, not to be tore down and beat up, but to be built up and encouraged to live the life that God has for you. We want to be enthusiastic encouragers as the church. So guess what that means? As that each and every one of us need to be enthusiastically encouraging the people that we go to church with. That we need to be encouraging them with what God is doing in their life or what God wants to do in their life. If you see somebody step out and use their gift in some way, you build them up. If you see God do something awesome in their life, they get a promotion at the job, don't just let it go by, but like encourage them. Say, that's awesome. Look at how God answered that prayer in your life and encourage them. Build them up. If somebody, if God's done something in your life, you go to somebody else, right? And you say, hey, listen, here's the things that God's doing in my life. And I'm not saying it to brag, but I'm saying, look at how good God is. And I know you have a need in your life. And I want to encourage you right now to know that you have somebody standing next to you, walking next to you, to go through this life with you so that you can have a moment where you see God do the miraculous in your life as well. We want to be encouragers in all that we do. Good stuff? Secondly, we want to fight for clarity. Too often times we're unsure of what is going on and why things are going on. And instead of saying, hey, I've got a question. Instead of saying, hey, I disagree with that. Instead of saying, I'm unsure about that. Or instead of saying, hey, I like that. We just kind of drift further, further into the distance. And we refuse to try to understand what's going on. And what happens in the separation is, is there's a loss of relationship. There's a loss of opportunity. There's a loss of a lot of different things. And then what happens is, is people oftentimes move apart from each other, usually in a negative way. And that does not strengthen the church. And it doesn't strengthen us individually as followers of Christ. So we want to be a church that encourages people to fight for clarity. To have the difficult conversations. To step into moments and say, hey, Pastor Jamie, I see some things that we've been doing as a church, and I just want you to know I'm concerned about it. We welcome those. We want you to have those conversations with us. If you see something that's going on that you really love, we want you to step into that and say, hey, I see some things that are going on. Why is that happening? What's taking place there? It's to fight for clarity in all things to understand what God is doing, what he's called us to do together, what's going on in the situation. If you feel like we've done something towards you or you're offended, hey, don't st just don't hold on to that, right? And just sit there. Like, come to us. I'm mad at you. I don't like you right now. That's cool. I want to hear that stuff, right? We want to be strong enough and mature enough as followers of Christ to say, I can handle that because God's big enough. Let's work through this because I care about you as much as he does, right? So we want to fight for clarity. We don't want to criticize what you don't understand. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 13, it says, spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. We don't want to just run off and say, here's what I think or here's what I'm approaching. But we want to make sure that we I understand what's going on. I understand why it's going on. And I'm fighting for clarity so that we can make sure that we're encouraging unity. So the next thing is this, is to believe in people. Believe in people. One of the things we said in this is to love people when they least expect it and least deserve it. To love people when they least expect it and least deserve it. In Romans chapter 5 verse 6, God sets the model for us for this through Christ. And it says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Listen, it's not about where a person is, but what God is doing in their life and what God wants their life to be for his glory. It doesn't matter where somebody is or what they're doing or how they're acting. Don't let that define your value of them or God's value of them. Step into it and believe for what God wants to do in them, right? We want to encourage people and we want to believe in people even when they don't deserve it or expect it. And secondly, we want to do for others what we wish they would do for you. It's what we teach our kids, isn't it? 
I teach our kids all the time, if you've got more than one kid, you say this all the time, right? Would you want them to do that to you, right? You say that all the time. But how many of us as adults, we forget that simple rule, right? It's the same thing for us. If we would want somebody to do something for us, then we should be doing that for others. So we believe in people by doing for others what we wish they would do for us. Then, fifthly, we talked about diversity invites opportunity. Diversity invites opportunity. How many of you know that if you're a follower of Christ, if you genuinely love Jesus, have a relationship with him, and you're pursuing the life that he has for you, you cannot have prejudices, you cannot have ideas that isolate, but you have hearts and passions that encourages unity and belief in each other. And so we want to be a church that is committed to diversity because diversity invites opportunity. Said this in the message and just want to always say this on a regular basis. Our circles cannot be one dimensional in race or experience. If your circle is all one color, doesn't matter what color it is. If your circle is all one color, you need to change that. Right? If your circle is full of all people the same age and the same income bracket with the same political persuasions, you need to change that. Right? Because diversity invites opportunity. When you are a 20-something-year-old and you hang out with, on a regular basis, somebody in their 60s, they are going to equip you, they are going to encourage you, they are going to strengthen you, they are going to give you wisdom and insight that you cannot get on your own. And you, as a 20-something-year-old, get to help that 60-year-old remember what it is to have energy and excitement and passion, and opinions, and all of those things. So together, when we step together, it helps to create opportunity to see and to live the life that God wants us to live out. And so it does, it's not just about race, though that is a huge thing. Because the kingdom of heaven, when we get to heaven, guess what? It's not going to be separated out by class and race, right? We're going to be standing next together, worshiping Jesus together. So we better get used to it, like it, love it, and pursue it here on this life, right? And then beyond race, we should make sure that we're doing things to help our lives be well-rounded and well-encouraged in the things that God's doing in our life by inviting people that are different than us into our circles. Good stuff. You get a lot of blank stares. Come on, you need to step it up. All right, so that brings us to tonight. What we're going to be talking about is expectation-shaped reality. Expectation-shaped reality. I'll have notes for this. We've had notes each week. If you'd like those notes, please let me know. I can get them to you. Um, but we've had notes each week. We'll have them next week. Um, I've really been trying to figure out and pray through how we're going to approach this value. We're actually going to talk about it this week and next week and possibly one more week. And uh, so next week I will have um, the notes for it. But this week I wanted to kind of approach it a little bit differently and walk through some scripture verses and thoughts with you. And so let's pray real quick and ask God to lead us, and then we'll jump into this. So, Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your church. God, I thank you for each and every person that's in this room. God, I thank you for the gift that you've placed in them and the gift that they are to this church and to your body. Father, I pray that in this moment, each and every one of us, Lord, that we be strengthened, that we be reminded, Lord, that you've called us, that you've placed us, God, where we are right now for your purposes and for your kingdom to be advanced, Father, I pray for a unity in heart. I pray for excitement of the gospel. And Lord, I pray, Lord, for a clarity of mind of how you want us to live out these days that you've given us for your name. And Father, we pray that the Patriots lose. That's all I ask. Amen. Expectation shapes reality. There is a book that is written by Chris Burdick. And Chris Burdick, it's his book, Mind Over Matter. Mind Over Matter. He talks about the power of expectation. And it's, and it's an incredible thing. It started in medicine. Have you ever heard of the placebo effect, right? Placebo effects are in medicine. It's when they give you a fake medicine, usually like a sugar pill. They tell you that it's real, tell you that it is a, a pill that does something or a drug that does something specific, but it's just sugar. It's nothing, right? You're just eating those little fun sticks, right? You remember those little things, the fun dip, you know? It's like, it's, that's all you got, right? So they, 
give you that, and then they use it as a test to see how it is effective. It gives them a sense of control in the studies, but also, too, it's something that's expanded out in the study of medicine and science beyond just the drug fact, but it, the actual drug itself, but how a doctor speaks to the patient, how the room looks, what they understand, what the side effects are of the drugs or of their sickness or their illness. Like, all of those things play out into a person's health and recovery in a situation. So there's been masses of studies over the past 10, 15 years of how this idea and this principle of the placebo effect gets played out in multiple different areas more than just in the drug itself. But how all of these different things, the way people perceive things, what their expectations are of them, how it helps or hinders their healing. And beyond the study of medicine, there has been multiple studies that have gone into this that it shows that it happens, this, the power of expectation goes way beyond just medicine. There's a study that happened uh, for different people uh, when it came to their tasting of food or wine. The more expensive it was, when they did brain scans, the more expensive it was, it showed that they had higher levels of activity in the reward center of the brain. So just because it was higher, whether it tasted better or not, whether it was better for them or not, had nothing to do. But the price itself actually made their brains respond in the reward center at a higher level just because of their expectation, because of the price. There's another study where people who choke under pressure all the time, they say, man, I just choke under pressure. I'm good. I get prepared. But then all of a sudden the moment comes and I have to fill out that test or I have to do that race or I have to step up on the mic or I have to perform at my job. And every single time I just crack under pressure. And so they did this study where they took a bunch of track athletes. Ruben, where are you at? They took a bunch of track athletes and they did a study between the two of it's always awesome when you call somebody out they're not in here, um, and then you highlight that point extra. So anyways, so you call them out, right? Or, no. So they did the study where they had these two people, uh, two groups of people, and they went up to one group, and they said, hey, if you ever had the pre-race jitters, that actually studied in studies statistically, they just made this up, statistically, it helps you to perform better if you have the pre-race jitters, right? So they started encouraging them, telling them that. Then they went to this other group over here, and they say, listen, if you have the pre-race jitters, you are going to perform way under what your level of ability is. So do everything you can to not have the pre-race jitters. Like, do everything you can just to push that out and just push that down to be as confident you, as you can be at the block, right? So guess what happens? They go through, and they do the test. They do the race. The group that they said the pre-race jitters helped you, guess what? They outperformed this group massively. So it's just one of those things that's in our mind that our expectations, just one more thing, I just thought this was so fun, I just wanted to share this with you. They did this study, I don't know who signs up for these studies or comes up with these studies, but they did a study in a lab where they had people stand in power poses for two minutes, right? So think like Superman, you know, or something like that, so power poses for two to three minutes, right? And these people, when they stood in their power poses, the hormonal change in their body and their self-view of themselves it matched the people that actually had levels of power in this world over people. So they would come into the room insecure and kind of just in a different place. But just standing like Superman for two to three minutes, they would walk out more confident. And actually on a chemical level, their body actually started changing to believe that they were more confident and able to lead and be effective. Isn't that amazing? So now when your wife sees you stand in front of the mirror like Superman for two to three minutes... And say it's science, it's science. So here's the powerful thing, right, is that, that expectations, expectations, they have an impact in our life. But the crazy thing is a lot of our expectations, the things that we hear, the things that we taste or smell, our likes and dislikes of things, all of those things, a lot of those are automatic. You probably have something that you can think of that you haven't liked your entire life, Right? My mom hates shrimp, and me and my dad cannot figure out why, because we would eat nothing but shrimp if we could, right? And we just can't figure out. They're delicious. I mean, it's just absolutely amazing. And so, but she hates shrimp. But I just keep telling her if she would eat shrimp, she would like shrimp. She's like, no. One day we were at, at Bonefish, and she ate an entire thing of bang-bang shrimp, right? 
She ate them. She's like, those are delicious. But then she realized they're shrimp, and she's like, nope, don't like them. I'm not going to eat it anymore, right? And so, so it's, it's just sometimes it's automatic, and it just kind of happens. We just walk through with these expectations in life and our, uh, expectations of people and expectations of circumstances, and it's just kind of automatic. But what he goes through and he studies in his book is, is that what it's, it's good to do and often important for us to do is to take moments where we challenge our assumptions, we challenge our expectations, and ask ourselves, why do I feel this way? Why do I believe this? Why do I act this way? And look at what our expectations are and challenge them and encourage ourselves to try something different because when we do, it helps us to step into a life where we kind of shake things up a little bit and experience something new and find out we thought we didn't like something and we actually do like it. And the power of our assumption, our expectation, can massively influence our life and the way we live out our lives on every level. So that's research. That's science. That's awesome. It's fun, but we're at church. So what does the Bible say about expectations? In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. Now get this, because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, now we live with great expectation. As Christians, we are to live with great expectation. Many places and many translations of different Bibles will have the word hope in that place instead of expectation. It's a powerful thing for us to get and to understand that hope and expectation are actually synonymous. Hope is a confident expectation that God will. That's what hope is. It's a confident expectation. It's an assurance that God will fulfill his promises, that he will come through on what he said, that God is good, that God is merciful. So when there is hope, there should be expectation. They are synonymous. They are one in the same. And so we see here and all throughout scripture that we as followers of Christ should live with great expectation. That we live with not a hope in what we can do or what we can accomplish, but in a living Christ who has accomplished all things. Our hope is set in not in who we are, what we've done, what we can do, where we've been, where we can go, any of those things. Our hope, our expectation of situations, of people, of circumstances, our hope in those moments is not on us, it's on him. Our hope, it should be one where we are living this life out with great expectation because we know that he's a great God who has accomplished all things through Christ. That's the way that we are supposed to live. That is the way that we're supposed to walk out. So my kids at Christmas time, not too far away, so Christmas time, I've been dying to share the story because I thought it was so funny. We had a chance not too long ago, we were at the dollar store, Michelle and I, so maybe it was a while ago because we started buying like Christmas decorations when they came out in October. So, but, so we were going around and we were actually at the dollar store one day, we were walking around and in the dollar store we found this thing, it was called the Christmas pickle. Have you ever heard of the Christmas pickle? All right? So we read it. How many, seriously, have you heard of the Christmas pickle? Okay, a couple people. All right. So the Christmas pickle, we're sitting there, we're walking through, and we see this thing, and it's like this gaudy pickle, and it's all like gold glittery and all this different stuff, and it's an ornament. And you're supposed to hang it on the tree. It's a German tradition. You hang it on the tree, and you hide it somewhere in the tree, and the person that finds it first gets to open up the first gift. So I was like, dude, this is going to be so much fun. And we're going to take this big one, and we're going to hide it, and I'm going to, like, bury it somewhere in the tree, and they're going to have to search for 30 minutes. And they're going to be looking for this pickle, and all they're going to want to do is open the presents, and I'm going to be laughing, and it's going to be awesome. And so we're going to have a ton of fun, and then we're going to have this tradition for the rest of our lives. And so Christmas morning comes, and we're fun parents. We're, uh, some might say mean parents, but it's just fun, right? So we um, actually go through, and we take wrapping paper and block off different sections so they can't come down the stairs or through hallways um, until we're ready for them to, because... Um, I just think this is important parenting. I just, they cannot open up presents, come or wake us up or anything until 9 o'clock in the morning. So if you want to take that as influence and use that and say, hey, Pastor Jamie said you can't wake, take it. It's a blood, it's my gift to you. So we tell them, like, you can't wake up until 9 o'clock in the morning, no matter what. And so we started 
covering sections of the hallways with wrapping paper so they can't go through them and we'll know that if they did, right? Cleverly taping it up and all of those different things. And so they come through and I open up a section and I crawled through and I was down there first and, and Noel, and Ruth, Noel and Ricky came over that morning and so they were sitting there and we were waiting for the kids to come through. Nine o'clock hits and they're just tearing through the paper and we're videotaping it. And so they come down the stairs and we're like, all right. And I tell them about the Christmas pickle. And they're looking at me like, you're crazy, man. And I'm like, yeah, I know. This is going to be awesome. So they start looking. And about 45 seconds into it, they're like, can we just open up our presents? And I'm like, no, you got to find the Christmas pickle. And they're looking. And then Michelle and Ricky and Noel, they all turn on me. And they're like, you buried that thing so deep, they're never going to find it. And then they just got more encouraged, so they just basically bailed on the Christmas pickle. It was there for a long time. In fact, they didn't find it until a week after Christmas. And so it was there. So the Christmas pickle failed. But one of the cool things it was about as I reflect on that story and think about the things that happened. My kids, they came down with an expectation. They came down anticipating this moment of receiving gifts and opening up the gift. Now, I love Christmas, I love giving the gifts, I love seeing my kids smile, I love, we, the whole, you know, some of the time, I know what that box is, no you don't, and you're like, yeah it is, uh, like this is, you know, Braden this year, he's like, it's my Benny Lego spaceship, you know, and I was like, no it's not, they don't sell them anymore, they don't sell them anymore, but um, I used it as a trick, right, last year we took and filled up a box full of different things, like a mop and different stuff like that, because he knew what it was, when he opened it up, he was so disappointed, it was awesome, so we go through, and like, you do all this different stuff, right, so we go through, but they have this expectation, they have this anticipation. I love Christmas because it shows and it reminds us of the faith that we should have, the confidence that we should have. See, my kids came down into that moment expecting. They knew some of their gifts, whether we tried to hide it or not. They knew what some of their gifts were because they had asked for them. And they knew that we love them and that we delight in them, that we want them to experience goodness, that we want to see, want them to see provision and we want them to have joy. They knew who we were and so their expectation it was in this moment where I'm sitting there like, you got to find this pickle. And they're like, dude, the pickle doesn't matter, right? Like, I don't care about this pickle. Like, all I care about is this moment right now of this stuff that's in front of me, these presents that are mine. And that was the thing that shook me, right? Is that in that moment, they sat there and they knew that those gifts were theirs. They were sure of it, and they were sure that they were good. They were sure that it was going to be something that was going to blow their mind and change their lives. They were confident in it. They were expectant of it. They were expectant of that moment. And it wasn't a moment of about, I've got to receive this thing, or I've got to achieve this thing, or I've got to, it was just like, I'm going to push through all of that junk, and I'm just going to receive the gift that you have given me as your parents. Because they weren't expectant of the gift. They weren't expected of the present that was underneath of the paper. They weren't expected because of the presentation of gifts. They were expected because they know our love for them and they know that we're going to care for them. But how many times is it in life that we're going through and as we're walking through life, we get so focused on task and circumstance and we get so focused on feelings and things that we find important that we can't even see what is ours, what is right in front of us. We get to a place where it's like, okay, I've got to step into this moment, and if I do this, then God will give it to me. If I achieve this, then God will give it to me. If I make this happen, then God will give it to me. If this place changes or if this situation changes, we kind of have this mindset where we feel like that God will not give us his good until, until we do something, until uh, this moment of despair is over until this moment of, of disobedience is over, this moment where I've got to change things, I've got to stop things, I've got to get over these different things. And so we live with this mentality that says, I've got to do this so that I can get. And that's not the way that God's called us to live. He's called us to live with expectation that he's already provided, he's already given, he's already made available. And what we're not hoping for, what we're not expecting of is not the stuff, but it's more of him. It's more of who he is. It's a deeper understanding of his love for us. It's a deeper experience of walking out this life in the gifts that he's given us and understanding his faithfulness in this moment. And so we have to move to a place where we're not caught up in focusing on what we get or how we get it or what we have to do, but we instead we walk into this life with an expectation that says God is good. He loves me deeply. He has a plan for me. He has a purpose for me. And because of that, he wants me to have exactly what I need in this moment. And it's going to be good. It's going to be perfect. And this moment, whatever it is, 
is the moment that God has set up for me to know him deeper and to love him greater. To understand his goodness in a whole new level. I love in Romans chapter 8, it says this in verse 37. It says, no, despite all these things, despite our discouragements, despite our failures, despite all of the persecution that we may face, despite our moments of discouragement in a thousand different ways, and maybe we're hungry or destitute, in spite of all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced, he goes on in verse 38, and I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. My kids, in that moment, they knew they were getting presents, whether they found the pickle or not. For them, they weren't pursuing this pickle. It wasn't about that moment. Their expectation wasn't rooted in something they had to achieve, but in a belief of what they already had, which is our love. It was rooted in that. And so what I want to encourage you tonight is, is to shift your perspective a little bit. I want to encourage you tonight. We're going to walk through next week and maybe even the week after some practical things of how we can live this out. But tonight what I'm trying to encourage you in and trying to build you up in is to change your perspective on hope and your expectations of life. See, a lot of times we have an expectation and, and, and our expectation is towards God when we should have a shift in our mentality and understand that our expectation is from God. In Psalms, it says this, in Psalms chapter 62, verse 5, in the English Standard Version, for God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. My hope is from him. One of the powerful things that we've got to look at in this verse is the word that is placed here of hope. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament, again, when you look at both of those words, the words there have a sense of expectation. It's an expectation of good. But I love the Old Testament meaning that it's literally the very first meaning of the word that is used for hope. It's a cord. Literally, it is a strand. Literally, or, or <laughs> figuratively, it's something that we have an expectant expectation. It's that we're tied to something, that we're tied to him. And so David, who all throughout the Psalms, and so much so encourages his son Solomon, all throughout the pro Proverbs, to talk about our expectant hope of God, he lays out for us and shows us that our hope is not towards God, but our hope is from God. That our hope is literally attached to him. That we are bound to him in this life. That all that we want to see, all that we hope to see, all that is good, all that should happen in our lives, all that we long for to happen in our lives, that it is attached to him, that it is bound to him, that it can't happen outside of him. And so what happens in life is, is that we go through life and we take our hope cord, our hope rope, and we attach it to things outside of God. And what happens is, is we get discouraged. What happens is, is we begin to wander and get lost because we're trying to find something to attach to that's going to keep us sure, that's going to keep us where we're supposed to be. But everything else leads us away. And what happens in those moments is, is as we're in that place, what we're hoping for is God to come through to fix the situation. So our hope, our expectation is towards God. God, this needs to change so that you can be seen as good. God, I need this to stop so that I can believe in you again. God, I need this to go away so that I can follow you again. So our expectation is that God needs to come, that he needs to do this, that something needs to happen. And so we look at it with this mindset that says, I'm waiting on God. I'm waiting for this to happen. I'm expecting this to happen. But our expectation is not in who he is or in his faithfulness. It's really in our skewed vision of his love for us. Our hope is actually in ourself and our understanding of our own self-value. Our hope is, is our own justification of our understanding of who God is. And I, God needs to come through so that I can see and prove whatever it might be. And we get caught up in this place. When we understand that our hope comes from him, when we understand that he is the God who is faithful and that all of our hope is set in, your expectations and your hope begin to change because you see that God is good and all of your hope and expectations are bound to him. 
So the things that come from him, your hope and your expectations, you begin to see they come from him. In a moment of despair, in a moment of frustration, you're looking at a situation. This is not what I expected to happen. This is not the way I expected things to go. Instead of looking at the situation, say, where is God at? When did he come to the situation? You instead, you change your perspective. You shift your mindset. You say, no, my expectation is not for God to come or that God is distant and gone. But my expectation is, is that God is sovereign. He's in control. He's ruling and reigning. He's right here right now. He's always been here. He was here before I was here, and he's wherever I'm going next. My hope and my expectation is that in this moment, because God is good, good is going to happen. Because God is faithful, I'm going to see his faithfulness in this moment. My expectation is that God is going to come through because of his promises. I have hope and expectation because of his goodness, his love, and his mercy. I have hope and expectation because it comes from his son. So the thing we've got to understand and get in our hearts is, is that you already have his promise through Jesus Christ. You already have his guarantee through Jesus Christ. You have his love. You already have his spirit. You have strength. You already have everything that you need to live the life that God's called you to live. And if you don't have it yet, when you need it, God's going to give it to you. Because that's his promise. That's his guarantee to you as you're living your life through Christ. That through Jesus, you have victory over sin and all its consequences guaranteed. That's the promise that's given to you. So when you're in a moment where things don't seem to look good, that you walk into that moment and say, I'm going to celebrate this moment because this is a moment that God is going to reveal his victory to me. When you step into a moment where things seem difficult and impossible, you step into it and say, I'm not going to wait for God to do something. I know God is already at work. He's been at work. He's doing something incredible. I'm not looking for God to come. I'm looking for what God is doing and what he's wanting to show to me. Come on, I should have got a couple more amens out of that. That was really good. It's a perspective change. It's a shift that wherever you are, whatever you're going through, you will find good. And God will be glorified. Wherever you are and whatever you're going through, you will find good and God will be glorified. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says this. He says, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, so encouraging, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. Thank you, Jesus. But take heart because I have overcome the world. James chapter 1, James, as he's writing his book and telling us how we can live out this life of Christ and how we should follow Christ in this life. James in chapter 1, he goes through and shows us that God works in the midst of trials. He works in the midst of them. So oftentimes we look for ways to get away from trials. We look for ways to get away from tribulation. We look for ways to find out how we made the mistake or how we did those things. And I'm not saying that not everything bad that happens is, is, is on purpose and whatever else. Listen, a lot of times bad things happen because we do stupid things, right? And so it's important for us to, in those moments to learn and to perceive. But it's also important to say that God is still with me in this moment. There is no love. Going back to Romans, there is nothing that we can do that cast us away from God's love. There is nothing that we can do. You cannot walk far enough. You cannot run hard enough. You cannot do any of those things. If you are his, you are in his arms. You are in his grace. You are, in, you are his child. So in that place, even if you make a mistake, even if you do something stupid, even if somebody does something stupid towards you, you look at it and you say, good will happen here and he will be glorified. That is my expectation. That is my view of this moment. That is my view of life because I'm not waiting for somebody to come. I'm not waiting for God to come out of the distance. No, God is already at work and I want to find out what he's doing. I want to find out how he's shaping me. I want to find out what he's pointing to me in my life. I want that to be something that I can obediently say, all right, fine, that's where you want me. I'll say no to this and I'm going to say yes to this because my life, just as we sang tonight, it's all for you and it's all about you. When you live with an expectation that God is good, 
and that he is faithful. And when you understand that you were bound to him through Christ, that you, all of your hopes and all of your expectations, that they are tied to him, that they are assured in him, then when you know who you are and you know who he is, you know who you are because of Christ and through Christ and who he is, in those moments you can't be shaken. In those moments you cannot be discouraged. You cannot be deterred. In those moments you're able to stand sure because you were anchored, as Hebrews chapter 6 verse 19 says, anchored to our hope, which is Jesus Christ. You're set assured. You're locked into it. So tonight, what I'm trying to encourage you to do as the worship team comes up and we wrap up, I'm encouraging you to step into that uncertain job situation with an expectation from God. He's already there. He's already at work. And his work there is already finished. You've got a difficult marriage and you look like your marriage is on the rocks and you don't know if you're going to make it through. Step into that with an expectation from God. That God is already there. God is already working. And the work that God has for that is already finished. And you're just discovering what he's doing. If you've got a new opportunity to go and take a new job and you're unsure of what it's going to mean, but you know in your heart that it's something God's leading you to do, step into that with an expectation from God that God will bless, that God will provide, that God will strengthen, that God will give, that God will open up the doors for you, that God will shower you with favor and grace in those moments, that though you may face trials, you will overcome those, and they're just new stories you get to tell of His faithfulness. Step into those moments, embrace those moments with a sense of expectation that God is doing something here. God is working right now in this moment. That whatever is happening, wherever you are right now, that God is at work, that he is faithful, that he is good, that he's providing, that he's working, that he's revealing. That right now, this moment that you're in right now, the moment you're thinking of right now, it's your gift to unwrap, to see his goodness to marvel at his power, and to declare his faithfulness. He's given you this moment not to test you and tempt you, but he's given this moment for you to see and to, as you are tested, to reveal who you are and who he is. To discover weaknesses, discover character flaws, to discover strengths, to discover abilities. This moment when you have an expectation that God is good and God is with you and God has gone ahead of you, when you have that view on life, in that moment, it's a gift for you to unwrap. It's a moment for you to sit there and say, man, he's so good. Man, he's so faithful. Man, look what he's doing. Look at the things that he wants to do. I didn't even know this is a burden that I have in my heart. I didn't even know this is a gift that I had. I didn't even know this is something I wanted to give my life towards. I didn't even know that I wanted to get rid of that. I didn't even know that I needed to work on that. But this moment has revealed that he's so good. He's so faithful. He's so wonderful. And I step into every moment now. This is a gift that he has for me. I'm not worried about what I can achieve. I'm not worried about the steps that I have to go through. I'm not worried about the things that people put on me as far as expectations and the way I'm supposed to do that. I want to step into that moment and say, I want more of his love. I want to embrace his love. Because I know we can look at it and say, great, you know, the kids, they love gifts. Of course they love gifts. Maybe I'm naive, but I want to believe. I hope to believe, even though it took them a while to say thank you, that my kids were excited about their gifts not just because of the gifts themselves because it was just another moment where we lavished our love on them and they were just that much more affirmed in our love and our dedication to them that in that moment it wasn't just about getting a new Lego set or a new doll but in that moment it was about a whole new understanding a whole new depth of our love for them that's what God wants for you in each moment of this life God doesn't want you just to have a hope in this life that makes you just hold on, just gritting and just fingers clenched that one day you'll make it to eternity. God wants you to have a hope right now that bursts your heart open, that throws your eyes wide open to the things that God's doing, that compels you and moves you to give everything you've got for Him and for His glory. That's the hope He wants you to have.
takes us to shift our perception and this moment and to say, he's good. He's here with me. He's showering his love on me right now. He's directing. He's guiding. He's opening doors. He's revealing things. That's what this moment is. And my expectation is, is that good is going to happen and that God is going to be glorified in this moment. I don't know all the answers, but I know those things. If you can't bow your heads and close your eyes with me. If there's anybody in here tonight that as I talk, you say, I don't know if I can have that hope because I don't know if God knows me or cares about me. I'll tell you this, January 17th, 1999, I sat in church and I gave my heart to Jesus. In an instant, I knew his love for me. Man, I had a gazillion questions that are still being answered. So many more things that I was uncertain of than things I was sure of. But one thing I became so confident of that shook me to my core and that is continually changing me to this day is that in that moment, I knew that I knew that I knew that I knew that God loved me. And in that moment, I was anchored to, I was assured, I was attached to a God who was unmovable, a God who was unchangeable, and my view of myself will change a thousand times, but his view of me will never change. My hopes in this life and the things that I want, the things that I desire, they will constantly change, but his hope and his desire for me, it will remain the same through all of eternity. And that he had made it possible, not just in that moment in July or January of 1999, but he made that moment possible with Jesus on the cross. And not just with Jesus on the cross, but that moment was a moment he thought of and cared about way back when he started this whole thing called Earth. That he dreamed it, he planned it, and that he wants it to continue and exist through all of eternity. He wants you to have life now, life abundantly now, and life eternal in Christ tonight, if you don't have that, if you're not sure of that, and you say, that's what I need, that's where it needs to start, I'm telling you, you're not going to get answers to questions. You're going to get more questions than you are answers. I'm telling you, you're going to be messed up. I'm telling you, you're going to lose friendships. I'm telling you, all kinds of stuff's going to happen. This is really encouraging right now, isn't it? But I can just tell you this. I can tell you this. All of those things will become less and less and less important as he grows in your heart and you see his deep and immense love for you. His desire for you. So if that's you tonight, you say, hey, that's me, Pastor Jamie. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. I'm not going to ask you to walk forward. I'm not going to ask you to do anything. I'm just going to ask you to do this, to pray this prayer in just a second in your own words. Jesus, I see you. Jesus, I hear you. Jesus, I submit to you. I love you, and I want to know your love for me. God, I know that I'm far from you because of my sins, and you have made me right through Jesus. And if you're like, I don't know how to say all that, just say, I need you, Jesus. And then after service, if you prayed that prayer, I want you to come and talk to me. I want you to talk to me at some point. Text me, email me, come to me. Somebody in the church in a blue shirt, reach out to them. But let somebody know, your family, your aunt, your grandmother that's been praying for you forever. Just tell them, I accepted Jesus. And watch him explode in your life. And if you are a follower of Christ... If you're a follower of Christ, I want you to walk with confidence and boldness. Listen, too often the church, the too often the church, the people of the church, the body of Christ, we walk with a false expectation or limited expectations. We should walk into this service with an expectation that God is here and God's wanting to do something. We should walk out of these doors knowing that God is there and God is wanting to do something. We should walk into our homes with an expectation that things today, maybe they were rough yesterday, are going to be better today because God is there and God is wanting to do something. That God is good and God is faithful and he's always going to come through. Amen? So let's lift our hands, let's lift our voices, let's worship, and let's declare God's faithfulness tonight.
presence is with you. God's love is with you. God's Holy Spirit is with you, encouraging you, giving you wisdom, giving you insights. In the places where you have need, God is wanting to provide and he's wanting to bless. In the places where you are unsure, God is wanting to sure and encourage. If you are a follower of Christ, you have been called and claimed as a child and God, who is faithful, provides and cares for his children in all things. You never have to walk with wants. You never have to walk with fear or an anxiety. You might not get everything you want here, but you'll walk with joy and confidence and peace like you've never known before. God will always be there. And no matter wherever you are, and no matter whatever you're going through, good will come of it and God will be glorified when you expect him to show up. So go and expect that and live that way. Love you guys. We'll see you back next week.